We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. You can turn there with me. Uh, uh, real briefly, what I talked about this last week was that this is a letter. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. He is in prison, and he is, he's basically going to be thanking them on some level uh, for what they've been uh, doing for him. They've been supporting him. It's kind of interesting that Aaron ended up being able to be here uh, today um, in part because, uh, you know, he's talking about how it's been a difficult year, but, um, and Paul's going to be talking about his suffering in, in the midst of being about the gospel as well. But uh, the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, um, and he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and there, there seem to be some issues. There seem to be some things where they're forgetting the gospel. They're forgetting what God has called them to. And so he's pushing back against that. And one of the things that I said this last week, and the reason why we've called the series Think, is because in, uh, throughout this book, I believe it's nine times this word phreneo uh, is, is written by the Apostle Paul. And it seems that the Apostle Paul is trying to tell this church like, I want you to think differently. I want you to think differently. And when, when your thinking changes uh, in regards to life and ministry and all of, all of this stuff, when your thinking changes, that's the root of what's happening in your life is that your thinking uh, has not changed. And oftentimes what we do in the church is we try to encourage people to change their behavior. We try to tell them that they need to modify their behavior. And so we, that you, you can call it behavior modification. And simply, church just turns into me becoming somebody who just seems like a better person. I'm nicer. I don't flip people off as frequently when I'm driving, or I'm uh, not, you know, whatever. I'm not running people over as, as, as frequently as I used to. And so, uh, but really what needs to happen in us is that our thinking, our whole way of thinking has got to change. And so the Apostle Paul has used this word uh, many times over. I don't believe it's in this passage uh, that I remember right now, but uh, that, that word. But he is talking about this. In fact, he says this in verse 12. I want you to know. I want you to know. Here's what needs to be inputted into your mind. Here's what needs to happen. Here's what needs to change. Uh, in you. And he's really kind of starting off his letter. The last bit that we covered was his greeting to them. And now we're getting into, okay, here's what I really want you to know. I want you to know something in, in your life so that life can change for you. Many of you have come to church today, and perhaps you've been coming to church for a long time, and, and you haven't necessarily experienced any type of life change, some type of changing event in your life, and, and it's pretty much just Christianity as usual. And so nothing's been different. Nothing's changed. Well, I want to tell you that I think that there's hope for you. I think that there's hope for you. I think that there's hope for the world. I think there's hope for our nation. As long as my life is about me, as long as it's about my comfort, as long as it's about me feeling good, as long as it's about God giving me what I've asked him for, as long as our world and our, and our uh, school system and our, our politics says you've got to do whatever makes you feel best, then people will always follow that. Because that is the way of the world. That, that young man that shot up that school was doing what made him feel best. Christians are called to a new way of living. 
They're called to not operate by worldly principles. They're called to operate by a new set of principles that completely changes who we are. It completely changes what we do. It completely changes what's going to happen. And the first thing he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what has happened to him? What has happened to the Apostle Paul? Well, he's in prison, and not only that, but he has been through a lot of stuff in, uh, in the course of planting churches and starting things. Aaron's not lying when he says that it's been difficult, but even at Aaron's most difficult day, it is not as difficult as what the Apostle Paul went through. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, chapter 11, verse 21, about halfway through there, he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, he says, I'm speaking as a fool, saying, I'm going to boast here for a second, but this is ridiculous. He says, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? He's talking about these other people. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He says, I'm talking like a madman for a second here. I'm just trying to make a point, not really trying to brag. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That's a lot of danger, right? Uh, In cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The Apostle Paul had been through the ringer. He had been through absolute difficulty. There are so many things that that have been going on in his life. And here he is, he's sitting in prison, and he's telling this church in Philippi, he says, this is what I want you to know. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, what's going on in my life, has actually serve to advance the gospel. Now, why does he feel like he needs to say, hey, listen, look at all of my difficulty, all the things that you've heard about, and everything that's going on. Why does he feel the need to say, listen, this has actually served to advance the gospel? Well, you can look at the inverse of that. And the inverse is this, is that uh, because my ministry does not seem to be flourishing, because life does not seem to be taking off, because these catastrophes have happened in my life, because all of these things are falling apart, because of all of those things, many of us and many in his day probably thought, listen, God's favor clearly isn't on your life, because, Paul, you have been put through the ringer. You have absolutely been put through the ringer, and so your ministry is just gone. God does not seem to be having favor on your life. And oftentimes, American Christianity takes on this same idea of, like, if I'm prospering, if life is going well for me, if, uh, if, if I got the job, if I got the girl, if I got whatever it is, if I have those things, then God must be having favor on me. But that is actually a different gospel. That's another thing. That's not the true gospel. That's not what the scriptures say. You be nice to God, God will be nice to you. That's not what the scriptures say. It's actually something called the prosperity gospel. 
It's called the prosperity gospel because there are people, in fact, famous people, and oftentimes they're on, they're on TV. They're not always on TV, but a lot of TV preachers seem to be saying something like this, and that is, if you give some money, if you give a little bit, or if you give this seed, they'll call it oftentimes, then God's going to bless you. God's going to give you that job. God's going to make you your life flourish. God's going to allow things to happen. And there's nothing really further from the truth. God may bless you with riches. But it's not going to be because you forced God's hand. It's not going to be because you caused God to do this. See, Christian people oftentimes, even though they may know the gospel, they know the truth uh, about life, they still operate and function as though what they do and, and how they act and what they do for God somehow causes God to be benevolent towards them. And that is so far from the truth, it is such a lie, and we need to be careful of it. Because our walk with Christ, our walk with God, does, does not flourish just because uh, things have gone well for us. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody who's in the midst of just disaster in their life. That so, the, the, the spouse left them, they lost the job, they lost everything, and they come to church and they, and they plug in for a little while, and they're, they're, they're driving hard, and they're, and they're saying, I want to be about God. I want to be about his stuff. But sooner or later, uh, somehow they become more moral. They, they stop doing what they were doing. Maybe they were drinking too much or using, or they were, you know, or, or they were uh, what, being violent, or p- perhaps they just had a bad work ethic, and they get a little bit of mo- morality. And things change for them, and they get the job, they get the girl, they get... Uh, They get sober, whatever it is, and then as soon as that happens and life starts going a little bit better, they walk away from God. They walk away. You know what? I'm still, I'm cool with God. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with God. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm totally in there. I'm totally about that. And yet they totally forget about being a part of Jesus' church. They totally forget about giving back to the community. They totally forget about any of those things. All of us on some level or another are just like that. You think about this, I think about it in my own life when things are really difficult. It's, it's easy for me uh, to engage with God because I have something that I really need God to do. I really need him to come through for me on this, that, or the other thing. And so I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. It's, I mean, and sometimes it has to do with financial uh, issues or um, you know, you know, some type of vision for the church or, or something like that. And so I find myself easily engaging with prayer, but then things are going okay. The church seems to be doing fine. My family's doing well. We're in our comfortable home, and it just gets easy to get comfortable. Why is it? Because I'm just as much in the same boat as you are. I'm just like you. All of us, every single one of us on some level believes this prosperity gospel, and somehow we say, I do a little bit for you, you do a little bit for me, and as soon as things change, we turn. We turn. The Apostle Paul wants to communicate to these people that suffering is essential. It's, suffering isn't just a possibility, but suffering is essential to real gospel thinking, to really being a gospel person who's deeply engaged with who Jesus is and living in the way of Jesus. Suffering is absolutely essential. He says what is going on is that this suffering has really served to not just kind of like keep going in spite of the suffering, but because of this suffering, the gospel is advancing. 
and it's advancing in big, big ways. So what's the first thing that Paul needs to understand? What do we need to understand? That God not only allows suffering in many cases, but God actually puts that into the midst of our lives. And the way that our thinking needs to change, in fact, I've seen this in so many different people, is to understand that the suffering oftentimes does not happen by accident, but God allows that to take place. And he, he ordains it. In fact, B.B. Warfield uh, puts it like this. He says, In the infinite wisdom of the Lord of all the earth, each event falls with exact precision into its proper place in this unfolding of his eternal plan. A commentator goes on to say this, we must be convinced that God can use every instance of opposition to advance the cause of his kingdom in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can use every instance of opposition. God can use ev- anything that comes at him and in, 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 in reality, nothing is a surprise to him. In fact, Early on in in Paul's ministry, before he even started ministry, um, it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. um, This guy, God God goes to Ananias and says, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to bring him in into the fold, bring him into ministry. And Ananias says, Man, this guy, Paul, his name uh, really was Saul. And he said, This guy, Saul, I've heard of him and I know that he's killing people and I'm not sure that I should be doing this. And so God says back to him, I am going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In fact, Paul's ministry, the very beginning of his ministry, begins with God saying, it's going to be about suffering for you. It's going to be about suffering. And really, the entirety of the Christian religion is about suffering. According to God's foreknowledge and plan, in fact, it says this uh, earlier in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It's not that this was an accident that happened to Jesus. He's not somebody that was just killed uh, in the process on accident. He was supposed to be this person, but God's plan was that Jesus would be offered up. It says again in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 27, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, not only is Paul's ministry going to begin with suffering, But Jesus' ministry was going to be fraught with suffering all the way throughout his life, and then it was going to end in a horrific death. But it was not by accident. It was according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. See, suffering is essential for understanding the way of Jesus. When you don't understand that aspect, your thinking cannot be on track with who God is. Your thinking cannot be on track with what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And the way that we get to that is to understand all things in all places are under the control of God. Now, why does God allow things like the horror in Florida? 
and the other schools before that and the other shootings, I cannot answer that question for you. God does not answer that question. What he says is this, is that one day I will punish wrongdoers. I will comfort those who have been wronged. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more suffering and there will be no more pain. And all things will work together to glorify him. All things. How is that going to happen with that situation? I have no idea. I have no idea how God is going to do that. But I, my only hope is that, God, I, I, I think you know what you're doing. And I'm praying that you, that you do. I believe that you do. Lord, help us understand. Help us to respond in the way that you want us to. But the same thing goes for Paul's life is that Paul has got to have this perspective that says that this didn't happen by accident. It's not in spite of the suffering. It's because of the suffering that Paul, the apostle, has the ability to be able to minister and advance the gospel with God's help. So suffering is essential. That's the first thing. And so what happens as a result? When your thinking changes, and as a result, your perspective changes, and now you see suffering in a new light, and you go, okay, I'm, now I'm not just thinking, okay, God's angry at me because bad things have happened and, and, and so forth, but now you can say, no, God is allowing suffering in my life so that I can act like somebody who is a believer in Jesus Christ, so that I get to show forth who God is in my life. I get to show people who he is. And so when we have that perspective that suffering is essential to a gospel witness, then we can say, okay, everything is according to God's plan, and so therefore I can go along with God and what he's doing. And you begin to act in the way of Jesus. And then suffering becomes catalytic. Suffering becomes a catalyst for change in other people's lives. Suffering is a catalyst toward uh, people all around us that see, okay, this is what this person's going through, and yet they deeply desire to honor God in their life. Look at what he says here in verse 13. So that it, it has become known throughout the whole imperial, gu imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So what's, what's going on there? He's saying it's become known throughout this entire group of soldiers, what commentators believe, scholars believe these people are. It's the Praetorian Guard. It is the guard that is around the governor. They say there was about 9,000 of these prisoners, or I'm sorry, of these soldiers, and they were charged with guarding Paul. And in fact, the Apostle Paul is very likely to have been chained to one of these soldiers. He's chained to them day in and day out. And so Paul could have looked at it as though, man, I can't really go do ministry right now. I can't really do much. I can't really go out into the world and preach in these great amphitheaters. And some of you are thinking that, like, I don't really have that gifting or I don't have the, the ability to go be some type of evangelist that's, you know, Billy Graham or something like that. And yet the Apostle Paul, who is arguably one of the greatest evangelists uh, throughout all of time, other than Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul is chained with just one guy, each guy taking shifts, and the Apostle Paul did not take it lightly. 
Because while Paul was chained to that guy and couldn't get out, that guy was also chained to Paul and he couldn't get out. And so Paul had a captive audience. And so Paul was able to sit there and preach the gospel over and over and over again. Can you imagine that? One of the meanest soldiers, groups of soldiers that there could have been. And yet he gets to sit there and share the gospel with this guy over and over again. And so here you have these guys. And Paul is saying, my suffering has really advanced the gospel. Because what, uh, what is taking place here is that outsiders whom I'm chained to, the imperial guard, throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest. Who's all the rest? We don't know. He's saying, like everybody in his sphere of influence right now, the people who are coming in the house or whatever, are coming in the jail. All of these people are around him, and they're all hearing about the gospel. And so Paul's able to preach the gospel to these people. All of these outsiders are, are seeing this guy. They're hearing that he understands that suffering is essential toward gospel witness and so as a result, what he is doing, he's preaching the gospel, and they see that his imprisonment, his suffering is, it's not just you know, happenstance, it's not just anything, it is for Christ. It is for Christ. It's not just about Christ. It's not just because uh, the political winds have shifted and now he's in jail. It is for Christ. He is in prison for Christ. Do you know what we need? We need some people that are committed to suffering for Christ, and so much so that they're willing not only not to just not make some incendiary Facebook post or to say something at your work. It's not just people that are uh, 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 willing to just forego those things and to suffer in, in, in silence in a sense, but it's people who are willing to put their lives on the line. It's people who are willing to put their time on the line. I was meeting with the school district this week. I met with uh, uh, one of the heads uh, who's over uh, quite a few of the principals in our city and two other ladies that were just incredible people. And I sat there talking with them, and they told me about what's going on in our city right now. And I, when they kind of got done with really sharing what's happening, with what's going on, I, I said, it's almost like nobody knows about that. And they just kind of said, that's exactly right. It's like, it's like there's a holocaust happening in our city, and nobody's even paying attention. Not a literal killing of people, but a type of horror. These kids that grow up in homes and, and, and there's, there's no family to take care of them. These teachers who are just, they're broken hearted for a child that is uncared about. And so some of the teachers and some of the principals are actually taking these kids into their own home. They become a foster parent for them or they've adopted them. And they're dealing with this day in and day out. And, they, and they, they're almost pulling their hair out just going, how come nobody's responding to this? How come nobody's responding to this? How come nobody sees this? What's, what's happening in our world? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. The very people, that's me, 
the very person that should be in the schools and devoting his life towards, towards the suffering of other people and suffering for Christ. I get so busy doing so many other things and so, so many times those things lose out and I'll bet you that you might be the same way. But what if instead of, uh, you know, throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, throughout all of these people, what if instead of that, it, it, it were to say, throughout all of the staff of the Salem-Kaiser School District, throughout everybody that was there, they knew that these people from the church in Salem, Oregon, these people were not just suffering as a byproduct of this, whatever, but they were literally saying, like, this is for Christ. I give up my time. I give up my, my finances. I give up my freedom. I give up all kinds of things. I give up all those things, not just for any reason, not because I'm trying to do behavior modification. I need to do a little bit good so God does some good to me. No, it's that it's for Christ. It is for Christ. And do you know what happens as a result of that? Do you think children who are shooting up schools come from great homes? What is that child doing with an AR-15? Why? Why? It's absurd. He wasn't a child. I know he was over 18. And we could have a discussion. Well, when should the law go into effect and, and whatever else? You know, I don't know, but I can tell you this, that that kid could be the same kid in one of our schools here. Could be one of our kids that we're responsible for because we're in this community. And remember what we said about Jer from Jeremiah 29? God tells Israel, he says, don't just, don't just go in and seclude yourself and just be kind of this isolated pocket of, of people who follow Yahweh. Because that's not what I want you to do. I want you to go into the city. Seek the welfare of the city. For in its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's how you live in exile. In a place that we don't belong. We go in and we seek the welfare of our community. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done. Because of Paul's example. As he modeled the behavior of Jesus. And so throughout all of Salem-Kaiser School District, the administrators and all of the rest, it has become clear that not our imprisonment, but that our activity and our role and our responsibilities and the things that we do and the programs that we put on are not just because we're trying to do good things, but it is for Jesus Christ. It's for Him. See, you and I are never going to stop bad parenting. But we may be stand-in parents. We will be stand-in parents. We have people here today that are stand-in parents. It's called foster parenting. Those teachers were so brokenhearted for what's happening in our schools. They are deeply concerned about what's taking place. Do we care? Do we care about what God is doing? Do we care about what's happening in, in this city with these kids? So suffering is catalytic towards outsiders, but it's also catalytic towards insiders. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, 
are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to, uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, these people, these brothers that are in Philippi, the people that know Paul and love Paul and stuff like that, they have relationship. No man or woman is an island. You cannot function as a Christian, individually speaking. You must have a Christian community around you, not just people that ask you the hard questions. We want to talk about the hard questions all the time. And you should be asked those questions. But you know what we don't talk about a lot? Is how are you on mission? How are you on mission? These people are deeply engaged with Paul and they have a relationship with him and they are brothers to him. They love him. They care about him. They deeply care about what's going on in his life and they see what's going on in Paul's life. And so what happens is, is that they become catalyzed, propelled into this confidence in the Lord, not just in Paul, but in the Lord and not just uh, and not afraid, but it's by his imprisonment. And as a result, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You don't want to speak the gospel. You don't want to preach. You don't want to tell your neighbors about who Jesus is. Be an island. Don't join anything at the church. Don't serve. Don't be a part of a community group. Just come to church on Sundays occasionally. And sooner or later, you'll become someone that is a bench warmer who does not engage in the things of Jesus in our city. You don't get to have a part in caring for the least of these, caring for these children that don't have parents. You don't get to be the, the person that will never know that you stopped the next serial killer. You'll never know about it, but you'll be fat and happy. P-H-A-T, fat. So suffering is catalytic towards outsiders, but it's also catalytic towards insiders. People are moving. Things are growing. It's much like the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks gets off of work, gets on the bus, says, I'm tired. I'm just tired of having to get out of the way for a white man. And she says, no, I'm not moving. This little woman. And what happens? She's put in prison and today she's remembered as being one of, the, one of the primary instigators of the civil rights movement. Paul's imprisonment was catalytic towards these insiders. Do we have love enough for our cause so that when our Rosa Parks goes to prison or when our Paul goes to prison or whatever it is, that we get to rise up and say, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. Lastly is this. Suffering is controversial. Suffering creates cynics, critics, and comrades. He says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rival. You know what? No, yeah, they're speaking without fear. I didn't miss anything. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's confusing, but there's two groups of people that are preaching Christ. 
There's two groups of people that are preaching Christ, and Paul, and Paul is saying they're both preaching Christ. One of them is, is motivated and is catalyzed by my suffering, and the other people are just criticizing me. They're just criticizing. They're, 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 they're cynical about what's happening. Who knows what's going on in their life? In our, in our world today, there's many people that, that have been hurt by the church. It happens all the time. And oftentimes, they're very legitimate hurts. But what happens as a result is a cynicism towards the church, towards the people of God. And that cynicism never really goes away. It turns into almost like this low-level uh, disgust or dislike of people that are a part of the church. And so they begin to see things like this, and they, they just get cynical. They can't see anything. They can't see God actually doing anything. They don't actually engage with anything. They pull back from the church. They become a cynic. But then you've got people who are oftentimes just critical. They're critical of, of the Apostle Paul because he's the leader. And some of them think that they should be the leader. They look at what Paul has done. They see his, how he's excelled as somebody who's writing scripture. I'm not even sure he knew that at that point. But they see what he's doing, and he's going to all these churches, and pretty soon they're becoming critical of him, even though they're preaching Christ. They're becoming jealous of him. There's a rivalry that's going on. First of all, let me say this. We don't want a rivalry with any church, with any pastor, or anybody that's in our city. We love the churches that are preaching Christ in our city, even if they're critical of us. I don't know of any right now. Maybe don't tell me if you do, okay? Because uh, then I might get mad and I'll send them a Facebook post or something. But um, uh, No, there's, there's critics. It's going to happen in our church. In fact, I believe it has happened. Somebody begins to excel. They begin to go up the ladder uh, ministry-wise. They begin to, uh, their gifts begin to come alive. They're, they're making a big splash. And other people are saying, man, I've been doing this for how long? And no one's given me that opportunity. It can happen among community group leaders. How big's your group? Oh, yeah? Well, mine's this big. It's kind of a weird thing to say about community groups, but... None of that was intended. My bad. Uh, let me try to compose myself and get back to my sermon here. It happens with people in ministry. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Jesse, if you laugh, I'm going to lose it, all right? Uh, see, when you preach for this long, at some point, you're going to say something dumb. And that just happened right in front of you. You got to be a part of that. But it happens in, in, in ministry with people that are, that are leading groups of people. I've, I've seen it among my church-planting brothers sometimes. Love them dearly, but there still is this underlying rivalry. I felt it in my own heart. Thoughts that have popped in my head, almost wishing the downfall of somebody else because of perhaps their success or something like that. Those are thoughts that I need to be like, hey, that guy's preaching Christ. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't wear what he's wearing or whatever, you know. I like, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't act in that way. But he's preaching Christ. They're doing something incredible in our city. They're doing something incredible in that city. It's very easy. It's very easy. Maybe we don't get taken out by sexual immorality, perhaps, even though that's happened a lot in the ministry. We know that. But you can very easily get taken out with rivalry, with jealousy, with selfish ambition. 
with vain conceit, it says in the NIV. It's very easy to get taken out with those kinds of things. And oftentimes it's the beginning point of people who end up completely blowing out their lives. I've seen guys um, end their lives because it started with this. There was a rivalry. They, they did not grow in the way that they thought they were going to. They started using some type of medication, and pretty soon one night it all came to a head and they ended their life. I've seen people end their marriages because of things like this. These things are real and they're serious. Suffering is controversial in the Apostle Paul's life, and it draws out this envy and this rivalry, but there's, there's, there's people that are doing this out of goodwill, and there's people who are doing this out of bad will. And the last thing he says is this in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. With all of the infighting, it's, it, it, it's so easy to take our brand of church. I mean, we meet in the round, and we got cool lighting, we got a black ceiling, and we're a little bit emo. That's not even like a thing anymore, I think, but uh, it, was, it was a few years ago. Ryan wears skinny jeans sometimes. Um, Gray is probably the coolest guy that we got on stage oftentimes. It's easy to say our brand of church is, is the best, right? Oh, I, I like it. I mean, it wouldn't be happening necessarily if I and the elders weren't, weren't excited about it. I like, I like what we do. But it's easy to say that our, our stuff is the best. The problem with that is that it's, it's, it's creating these groups of people that end up opposing each other. My hope is that our church becomes one with other churches on an increasing level to where we are ministering to this city. And for outward church, that focus is on young kids, elementary age kids, through the school district and through foster care. And are we willing to suffer for Christ? So much so that people see that, the hardest criminals, the people that hate Jesus, the people that are deeply against what we stand for, can we honestly say, I'm willing to suffer just to, to be made a mockery of so that that person might see that this is for Christ, that God is real, that he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross and he suffered by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and so therefore I can suffer for Christ's sake because of what he's done for me on the cross that I did not deserve. Are we willing to give our lives for that? Are, are, are we willing to do that? I know it's, a, it's 15 minutes after. I want to wrap up right now, but I just, I mean, sometimes I feel like, like we, we could tell these sermons, we could give these sermons all day long. Like, it's just, it's just in my nature. Like, God has caused me to be somebody who's not very tactful sometimes. And that works well occasionally for preaching. I've had to get better at that. But here we are as a church. Uh, most of us are young, cool, and hip. The other ones, we're glad you're here. I always have to have an old joke. but um, And yet, it's, it's cool 
it's cool to, to hear things and to act like we're hard-nosed, but does that ever actually take place in our lives? Do we have fruit from the gospel in our lives? See, a lot of us are, a lot of us are, are, are married. For those of you that aren't, um, you know, would love to see, see you married, but a lot of us, whether we're married or unmarried or whatever, we're getting so wrapped up in our own lives. We're getting so wrapped up in our own lives that not a whole lot is changing. Not a whole lot happens. And I get that we, a lot of us have kids, or we're in school, or we're busy, we've got a lot of school functions, and we've got um, two of my kids are starting Little League. But like, when is it going to happen for us? And, I, and, and this, isn't a, this isn't me coming down on you. This is a prayer. Like, when is it going to happen for us? When does it have to happen that one of us goes to jail, like literally go to jail before we go, oh, I should be sacrificing? Is that what needs to happen? We should pray for that day. We should pray that Christianity is outlawed in our state and that they take away our guns and that they take away our rights and that they do whatever, whatever they want to to us so that we can show that we're suffering for Christ. But I'm telling you, that we don't have to wait for that. We don't have to wait for those things. We can suffer for Christ right here and right now. How many sermons will it take? I'm telling you, I don't think it's any more. I think it is the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating our hearts. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated our hearts to the level that we're willing to give up give up our rights, give up whatever it takes, and to suffer for the advance of the gospel? That's the question. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, <clears throat> we could go on and on <clears throat> talking about how to be Christians, and yet never actually take action on those things. Lord, all of us here, like many of us in this room, are just good at being American Christians. We're just trying to make it through life. And Lord, there are hard things that happen throughout the week. Our kids are important. We should be at their games. But Lord, we're asking you, like you've got to show us. You need to, you need to speak to us. We're praying by the, by the power of your spirit that you'd speak to us and you would breathe life into this church and these people at this time. Lord, that you'd awaken us to the reality of what you went through on the cross, how Paul models that in his life and what our life is supposed to be. Lord God, would you do that here? Lord, what, what would happen if we said we want everybody in this, in this school district, we want everybody who opposes the things of God to, to see that we suffer for you. Lord God, would, the, would you make this true in our lives? 
It is you who works in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. Lord, would you do it so that you get the glory? Lord, I'm praying for stories of suffering that catalyze our city 